I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Welcome to this episode of If I Was Starting Today. Today, I'm going to give you eight tips for anyone that was starting an agency. Essentially, things I wish I would have known if I was starting today. Now, let me give you some background. I have an agency. It's called Growth Hit. We position ourselves as your outsourced head of growth, right? So your outsourced growth team. And what we really focus on is running on-site experiments, also called conversion rate optimization. I launched this about three years ago. We're now at about nine people and we're at seven figures in sales. I learned a lot of things the hard way. And there's so much advice I heard early on that I actually kind of ignored that I totally wish I wouldn't have. So I'd love to kind of break that down. So hopefully this can be helpful for anybody that's starting an agency or consultancy today. Okay, so the first thing you need to figure out, what type of agency do I want to do? There's this phrase, right, where the the riches are in the niches. I totally ignored this to start because when you're starting, you're paranoid. You're like, okay, I'm doing this on my own. You don't want to say no to anything. But what that means is you're saying yes to stuff that you're maybe not great at, maybe not comfortable at. And I totally get that in the early days, but then you really want to transition to only say yes to the things where you know you're not just good at, but you're great at. That's going to be great for a lot of reasons, for client retention, for referrals, and just overall work-life satisfaction. So what are your options when you're looking to, to niche down, right? So first, you could niche down by industry. You could just focus on a specific segment or industry. So it's like, we only do pay-per-click ads for the hotel industry, right? Another way to niche down is by the stage of growth or of the company life cycle. So you could just work on Kickstarter launch campaigns. You could just work with startups that raise around a seed funding and are looking to hit product market fit. And then the third thing you could do is you could niche down by your actual skill set. So you only do TikTok ads or you only do email automation for software as a service companies. And the reason why it's good to niche down is, and we'll get into this, but it allows you to really become best in class at that one thing to become premium and ideally get your rates up. Okay. So the next thing I want to hit on is you're getting into an agency or consultancy. There's a lot of competition out there. How do you shortcut your competitor's experience to all of a sudden be at the top and to be a thought leader in the space? So I have something that I did that I think is not talked about enough. So first, let's look at the idea of what are some emerging trends or needs that companies have? Another way to think about it is innovative companies or big brands, what are some roles that are hiring for that are pretty new in the sales or marketing or tech category? So for one example is data scientists over the past few years have become an essential role. That could be something you go all in on. Another thing is for B2B companies, the idea of account-based marketing is something that you could own. So why is this important to pick an emerging trend? Let's say you're just going to be another branding agency or another ad agency. Right out of the gate, you have so many talented agencies you're going up against who have more experience, more referrals, great SEO. It's going to be hard to compete. But If you can find something that's new and innovative, a new technology, a new strategy, a new tactic, and jump on that in the early days, 
you can bypass their experience because they don't have any and quickly become the thought leader, especially if that's the one thing you do. So I wish I could act like I was extremely intentional and smart with this, but with growth that when we launched, we positioned ourselves as the outsource head of growth and we're us doing growth marketing. This is right as the idea of growth hacking and growth marketing was really becoming sought after with brands outside of startups. And what was fascinating was by just owning this one vertical, we click quickly became a part of the growth hackers community, got involved with some startups where we were some of the go-to people in that in that category. We were getting RFPs from Fortune 500 brands. We're all of a sudden doing talks and workshops with Deloitte, Intuit, and Mattel. And it's like, in my mind, I'm like, who the heck am I to be doing this? But I'll totally take it. So something to think about, like keep an eye on what's emerging, something that you could quickly become a thought leader on. I even see people with Airtable blowing up, jumping in and be like, oh, I'm the Airtable girl. I'm the Airtable guy. I'm, I'm the best. And so I'm totally applaud that move, especially when you're trying to niche down and, and be the leader in a certain category. Okay, the next thing. With your project, absolutely focus on recurring work rather than one-time work. So why is that? So obviously with recurring work, you're going to have a monthly retainer where you close a client and you're going to be paid every single month, right? And so this is important. So let's say you have an average retainer of 10K a month. To get to 100K a month, you know, really just need 10 clients and they pay off over the, the whole year. But if you're in acquisition mode where you're not doing monthly retainers, each month, you're going to have to close 10 new clients. That's 120 clients a year. Quickly, you go from delivering your service to becoming an acquisition machine, and it's really going to hurt your product. Okay, so definitely focus on recurring work. The next thing is how should you price? Now, there's a lot of good resources out there on what to do and a lot of different opinions, but, but here's mine. So first, you have some options. You could do hourly-based pricing, right? I don't like this. That's super dangerous because one, I don't like keeping track of hours and you might get you know beat down. Oh no, it's not 100 bucks an hour. It's 90 bucks an hour. It's, it's 85. And that really adds up. And I don't want to get in that conversation, especially if they try and fluctuate how many hours you do. The second thing is project-based pricing. So be like, you know, the project's six to 12 months and it's this fixed rate. As we all know, things fluctuate, things change. And then you're going to have to renegotiate. And anytime you're talking contracts or agreements with the client, I don't like it. It's not good. It's not not where you want your energy to be going. So that's why I like the third option, which is value-based pricing. So based on the value they're going to drive from your experience or service, you attach a price to that. This way, you make the ROI very black and white and very clear. And so that leads to kind of a tip with this is with any service that you're offering, work as hard as you can to tie back what you're actually doing to revenue. Like try and get that direct line of ROI on what you're doing. So with, with us, with conversion rate optimization, it's really black and white. We're running A-B tests on the site to try and get a lift in sales. So we know after a month, after a quarter, how much money we have made or not made for somebody. And what's good about that is, you know, our retainers, you know, around 10K a month, which could be expensive, but if we're able to show, hey, you invest in us, but we're making you an additional 40, 50K a month, it becomes a no brainer. And so, whenever you can attribute your service to sales, it makes the pricing so much easier for value base and it makes the client obviously much happier. Okay, the next thing chosen your niche, you've chosen your category, you're, you figure out your pricing, you have these clients. How do you make them happy? Because I think a lot of agencies and clients go through some growing pains where there's a little bit of churn. And it's really because of inexperience with you know people and client management. So if I could give any advice, it would be how it starts is how it begins. Your first two weeks 
to month will totally set the tone for the engagement and how it's going to go. So what that means is managing expectations from the start. And a great way to do that is with visual roadmaps, like really hit them over the head with like a nice little presentation with your 12 week, 12 month plan, put due dates, put milestones, put things you want to hit because you never want the client being like, where are you taking us? And then they lose confidence in you. So visually show it. The, the next thing is you want to get quick wins to show you can move fast or show you can deliver on what you promise. So we actually have rules. Like with us, it's after a kickoff call, we want to get a test live within 72 hours. That also means before a kickoff call, we need to get access to all their tools and make sure they work. Another rule we have when we're doing ads is we want to get an ad live within five days of the kickoff call. And this helps keep us honest with our internal processes and also makes the client happy. So like, wow, these these guys and girls, they move super fast and they're efficient. I mentioned attributing your performance to sales above. That's especially important when you're like four, eight, 12 weeks in to hit on that. And then another thing, let's say you're on a project and it's just, you're hitting roadblocks. It's really hard to stand up your deliverables, your campaigns, whatever that is. Another way that you can continue to have a, a good ongoing partnership with the client is if you're taking on their problems and they're looking to you as a strategic advisor, that means you need to put yourself in the category of being a decision maker and not an order taker. So as you're having these calls and meetings, make sure you're driving the agenda. I mean, understand the context, understand the goals, get their information. But ideally, you want to be the one that's helping navigate some of the decisions. That's another way to ensure kind of like a good engagement is when they look to you as that in that advisor role. And obviously that comes with a little bit more experience. Okay, so you've got your onboarding rolling. Everyone's happy. Things are sailing. How do you keep your team happy? Because client work can be quite stressful. There's constantly fires. What do you do? So it took me a while to do this and I'm not the best of it until our COO came on and just you know took us to the next level. But it's creating SOPs. And you probably just fell asleep as I talked about that. And that's standard operating procedures. And what that means is you want to get away from doing custom work as much as possible. And anytime you're doing repeat work, how can you document that and optimize it so you can do it and you can train other people to do it. So that's huge. The other thing is, as you find yourself doing repeat tasks, how can you batch things together, especially if you're working on four different clients and you're writing landing page copy or you're creating ads, whatever that is, how can you batch the work to try and get ahead? Because we try and get two weeks ahead on every client, which is huge. So we could maybe even go on a vacation, you know, go to go to Maui and have a Mai Tai or something. Also, it allows you when things get delayed, you have another deliverable or something to to slot in. And then the final point on this is invest in a project management software. Uh, we are huge fans of Asana. I run my life through it. I think I run my marriage through it. But it's um, a complete game changer to allow us to, to run a remote agency. Uh, Trello is fantastic as well. Okay, so you're managing your team. I want to talk about acquisition strategies. Okay, you're starting today. You've picked your niche. You've got a few clients. How do you grow this thing? How do you find new clients? Well, the first thing is going back to that point of being a decision maker and not an order taker, launch your agency on the back of thought leadership content. That could be publishing a book, an ebook, you could do an online course, or you could launch a podcast, or you could do YouTube videos, anything that gets you out there. So when people are first introduced to you, you're talking about what you know best. The second thing is really balance scalable and non-scalable tactics, because they also impact your short-term close rate and your long-term close rate. So some of the short-term tactics you can do is like quickly spin up Google ads for your niche. You can start doing webinars yourself or with partners, or even do cold email outreach, which can be super 
annoying, but when we do it, we basically offer to do free work and a free audit to prove our value. If I wanted to close clients right away, I'd be doing those three things. The other thing is think of long-term tactics. How can you plant seeds? So in six to 12 months, you're going to be really happy that leads start to come in. So for us, that's investing in content and doing courses and writing books. It's also investing in you know SEO-driven content marketing around our category and even in partnerships. We've we've had um, some partnerships that really took a while to, to get traction, but ended up paying off them in dividends. The other thing is, if you're starting today and you're just trying to close clients, I wouldn't even put a price on what you do. I would just do free work. This is actually how I got started, where I was able to partner with some startup accelerators and, and early startups. And I was like, hey, I, I'm just trying to build up a portfolio. I'd love to do some free work. And what's cool is when you're doing free work, they see this as a huge bonus. And if you're actually good at it, whenever you say you're going to stop, they'll actually be willing to pay for it. So that's something that a lot of people don't do, but I recommend. However, I would only do it if you see some ROI for you out of it. That means, can you get a really good case study? Would they be willing to be a referral or would they turn into a paid client down the road? Another thing is, you know, how can you get involved in communities that are home to your ideal persona or your ideal client? So for me, it was, you know, partnering with VC firms, with accelerators like WeWork Labs and Techstars and teaching at various meetup organizations in, in New York and then in Seattle when I moved out here. And, and that was really good just for trying to build up a, a name so you, you even exist, right? Okay, so so that's on the marketing side, but obviously we now have the sales component. You've got these leads coming in from all your, your, your brilliant strategies, right? How do you manage them? Because for a while I was drowning in emails and my inbox zero was not even close to an option. But there are some really cool tools that can allow you to become a one man or woman optimized sales team. And so I'm a huge fan of these automation tools. So I now no longer manually respond to any inbound leads. I have a whole process in place that qualifies them, puts them into the CRM and schedules qualified calls for me. And so I've done that with a hybrid of collecting leads on Typeform, asking a series of questions that can qualify people based on traffic and budget. It then goes into our CRM, which is Pipedrive. And that then will send out an email with my Calendly to schedule a time. And then I also use Superhuman to manage my inbox. It's definitely been pretty efficient. There's a lot of cool tools out there as well. I haven't used Hey as much, but something to check out. Okay. So the last thing I want to hit on if I was starting an agency is I think there is an expiration on agency life and running it. And the other thing is, it's funny, it's like, I'm an agency owner, you're your own boss. It is a complete lie. You are a prisoner to your clients. The more clients you have, the more bosses you have. So how can you fire yourself from the work so you're not working in the business, but working on the business? So I actually hired a, an executive coach to help me with this. And he's a big fan of frameworks. So there's three frameworks that you could use to really build the machine that is an agency um, that can run without you. And so one is from the book Scaling Up. The second, it's actually within the Scaling Up book, but it's the Rockefeller Habits. And then the third is the book Traction using their entrepreneurial operating system. And so we're, we're still kind of early days on those, but we're starting to see some benefit from it. And it's been awesome. Okay. So just to recap, if I'm starting an agency today, here are the 10 things I would want to do. And I wish I would have known this uh, a few years ago. So first, niche down. Absolutely. Niches are in the rich or the riches are in the niches. There we go. Uh, second, write an emerging trend 
to shortcut your path to being a thought leadership to remove competition. The third is embrace reoccurring work as opposed to project-based work. The fourth, try value-based pricing as opposed to hourly or project-based. Fifth, focus on winning the first two weeks or month of engagement with over-delivering and killer onboarding because it'll set up your partnership for long-term success and increase your lifetime value with that client. Sixth, invest in standard operating procedures, SOPs to train and onboard your team and to fire yourself from doing the work so you can work at a strategic level. And warning, this is super boring making SOPs and Google Docs and using Loom, but um, totally worth it. Just get a big old jug of coffee. Seven, you know, embrace growing through scalable and non-scalable tactics, especially in the early days. Don't sweat it if you're doing a lot of hand-to-hand combat and email outreach and, and free work because it, it will pay off. Eighth, invest in thought leadership, whether that's, you know, a course, a book, webinars, podcasts, YouTube, because the best way to be introduced to somebody is not when they're Googling, you know, growth marketing agencies and it's going to be competitive. Competitive, but it's when it's even before that, when it's more top of the funnel, they're trying to answer questions. Um, ninth, embrace automation to become a, a one-person sales team that allow you to put off hiring a salesperson until um, it, it really makes sense financially. And then fifth, leverage frameworks like the entrepreneur operating system to eventually fire yourself from doing a lot of the day-to-day so you can actually run a business and not live and die by the latest client Slack or email. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money, but I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growthit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of a hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.